Again, it's an honor, Pastor Tim, give you the privilege of coming and speaking the word to you this morning. And again, my beautiful wife, Kim, is here. And Kim and I will be married 30 years this coming August. And yes, yes, I am that old. But uh, when Kim met me, she's from a pastor's family. Her father is a minister, and her brothers, three brothers, are ministers. When she met me, she thought she got out of it. I was not a minister. And. Uh, but we were married for about five years, and I felt a stirring on my heart. And she went to see her parents, who were pastoring in Sarnia, Ontario at the time. And I stayed back, and I was doing my job, and I was a salesman. And I came home uh, that Saturday, and it was middle of the day. It was a beautiful day, and I walked into the bedroom, and I realized when I walked in the bedroom that I don't feel any financial pressure. And I haven't felt that in years because we fell behind, we were in debt, but God got me a job that got me out of debt, and we were actually ahead, and there was just that relief. And obviously, if I never felt this relief before, I never gave God the credit for it. So I just went into my bedroom, and I had a time of praise and worship, and I'm thanking him that we're out of debt financially, but then it turned into what I called my Goldilocks prayer. We're not far from here. We were at 10 Mile and Mount. And I had an 888-square-foot house, didn't we, hon? But we wanted children. I said, Lord, the house is too small. We were going to a church in Clawson, Michigan. It was a mega church, and Kim was uncomfortable there. She wanted something a little bit smaller. And we were praying about a smaller family church. And my job, as well as it was paying me, I had to misrepresent myself in order to get the people to buy while I was there. I had to misrepresent myself on the way in and on the way out. And I said, Scott, I can't do this anymore. I need a different job. In the middle of my conversation with God, I stop. I says, wait a minute. I'm from a family of car nuts. My dad loves cars, therefore I love cars. I says, wait a minute. I've been putting off my two-seater convertible now for five years. Can I have my two-seater convertible? And a voice broke in the room, and he said, sell everything that you have and go back to school. And I said, I can do that? And no sooner did God speak than after being gone four days, the only time we were apart up to that point when we were married, Kim came walking in. And I turned, I didn't give her a kiss, I didn't say hello. I said, what would you think if we sold everything we had and went back to school? And guess what? God was dealing with her on the way home. Now I just hear God's voice and I throw out a fleece. And I says, okay, if you want me to go back to school, sell everything I have and back to school, you're going to sell my house. I'm not going to give 7% to a real estate agent, but you can sell it for me. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to let you sell it. I'm going to put it on the market myself. Now remember, it's back in the mid-90s, Okay. I'm going to ask 79, and I want 77. And I'm not being smart. I figured this is what I needed. And uh, so that Saturday, it was listed in the paper. And people came in to look at the house. The second person that came in bought the house for $77,000. And in six weeks' time, we were standing on the campus of Elam Bible Institute, and we've been in New York for 25 years until God just recently called us home so that we could minister to the needs of family. But that's why we're here. But uh, I want to talk to you today about some things that the Lord was showing me. And one time when I was praying, and, and you know oftentimes when we pray, you listen to yourself and you realize there's a lot of things that we go to God for that we seek. We seek a lot of things from God, don't we? But I, as I was praying, I stopped and I asked myself, you know, is there something that God sometimes seeks from us? Are there things that God seeks? So it led me on a study. And I find out there are some things that God seeks. And there's one of those things I want to talk about today. And it's found in the conversation that he had with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Most of you are probably familiar with it. And he concluded this conversation with her about one of the things that uh, he seeks. It says in verse 21 of John 4 that Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming 
when you will neither worship on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. But you hear it said in verse 23, God is seeking worshipers. Now make this clear. God is not seeking worship. That would make him insecure or narcissistic. God is seeking worshipers. What is a worshiper? That word worship can also be defined as servant. God is looking for wholly devoted, passionate, dedicated followers of Jesus Christ. That's who he's looking for. And it's my guess that if you are disciples and students of your pastors, Tim and Lisa, that's what you want to be here too. Then I found out as I was studying on this that worshipers are not born, they're made. Worshipers are made. And how does God make worshipers? And that's what I want to talk about today. Now remember, God is a God that can use all things. Nothing's wasted in God's economy. And I'm talking about how Jesus is the Lord of the storm and how even storms of life are used to make us worshipers. Now we'll be looking at storms that are literal, like rain and wind. We're not talking about that. We're not applying it to ourselves. We're talking about adversity. We're talking about trials. We're talking about the struggles of life. So when we're talking about storms, that's how it's applying to you and I. But the first one I want to look at is found in Matthew chapter 8, beginning with verse 23. This is the storm that Jesus rebuked. Matthew 8, 23, beginning with verse 23, it says, Now when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. Then his disciples came to him, awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Let's stop there for a second. So we see that there was a storm that rose up a sea, uh, at sea, and the disciples were afraid. My guess, this was a pretty legitimate storm. Because what was the occupation of some of the disciples that Jesus called? Yeah, fishermen who spent their time on the sea. So my guess is this is a pretty a fierce storm. Now, what was Jesus doing? Sleeping. What did he do when he was awakened by the disciples? He calmed the storm. One rule of the storms is this. We can only speak peace to a storm that we can rest in. We can only speak peace to a storm that we can rest in. See, what happened is Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And then what happened is, because he was the Prince of Peace, he was able to bring peace to the environment around him. He wasn't influenced by his circumstances, but he was able to influence his circumstances. You can only give away what you have. But going on, it concludes this, this passage of Scripture here that says that the men marveled when Jesus calmed the storm. And in the King James it says, What manner of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So two things were concluded. First of all, Jesus rebuked the storm, but did the disciples give Jesus worship? The answer is no. They said, what manner of man is this? They didn't even acknowledge him to be the son of God. And before we're quick to judge the disciples for their error here, I find that that's true by and large of all man today as well, too, even in the church. Yeah, what happens is, is that we see a, a storm on the horizon. Here it comes. Trouble's coming my way. And what happens is it gets closer and closer, anxiety comes higher and higher. Finally, I cry out to the Lord, and guess what? The storm goes away. 
Well, did you know that 90% of the things that we worry about never come to pass? But there are times because fear rose up in my heart, my cry went up to God, and he says, you know what, I'll rebuke that storm for you. And what's the average reaction? That was a close one. Glad that didn't happen. Must not have been fate. Did God get the glory? But it's man's favorite storm, the storm that's rebuked, because we hate storms. We hate trouble. But the other thing they said was really telling, too. They said that even the winds and the waves obey him. You know, winds of adversity, trouble coming at me in waves. Again, we're talking about the storms you and I face. It says that his storm, our storms, do Jesus' bidding. Jesus is Lord of the storms. But let me ask you a question then. If Jesus is Lord of the storms, then how come all the storms that come into my life aren't rebuked? Why are there sometimes we have to face storms? Let's look at Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15, or excuse me, Matthew 14, I'm sorry, is the account of Jesus walking on the water and Peter coming out to him on the water. And this is a storm that we have to overcome. And as you know, Jesus had just fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children. Could have been 12, 15,000 people that he fed with a couple loaves and fish. After he ministered to the multitudes, he sent them away and he told the disciples, get in the boat, get to the other side of the lake, I'll catch up with you. In the meantime, he goes up on the mount to pray. So the disciples are rowing against the contrary wind and Jesus is on the mountain to pray. And let's pick it up in verse 25 of Matthew 14. Now it's the fourth watch of the night which pushes it between 3 and 6 in the morning, which means the disciples have been rowing for a long time. They're tired, and they're physically exhausted, and then they see Jesus walking out to them in the sea, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. And you and I would be too. And they said, it's a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer, it's I, don't be afraid. But Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come to you in the water. And he said, come. And Peter came down out of the boat, and he walked out to the water on Jesus. This is not necessarily about worship, but I want to, this is too good to pass up. So Jesus is coming out to them on the water. They're tired, they're sore, they're afraid. But Jesus said, hey, fellas, don't worry, it's me. Don't have anything to fear. And what happened was, is 11 disciples were comforted. Why? Well, because what they saw before their eyes was a miracle, and they knew that Jesus was the one who did miracles. He's the ones that performed signs, wonders, and miracles So when this guy says, hey, it's me, it's Jesus, it makes sense. Of course it is. But guess what? There was one more disciple named Peter who was not satisfied because his definition of who Jesus was, who the Messiah was, was larger. Eleven disciples said, Jesus, my Savior, is a miracle doer. Peter said, Jesus, my Savior, is a miracle enabler. Not only can he do miracles, but he can also enable those who follow him to do the self-same miracles that Jesus does. And with that, he said, if it's you, bid me come to thee in the water. And Jesus said, come. And so I would throw it out to you, is who is Jesus to you? I think I would agree that everybody in this house says that Jesus was a miracle worker. He does perform signs, wonders, and miracles. But do we believe that through our hands, the same miracles that Jesus did, he also enables us? Me and you in this church? And of course, why? He says in John, he said in John chapter 16 that he has to go to the Father 
But it's good that he goes because then I can release the helper who's the Holy Spirit. That's good because what happened was all the miracles that Jesus did on the earth, he set aside his rights and his authority as a son of God, and every miracle he did on the earth, he did as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. To be an example for you and I of what a man who is fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit can do. And now instead of being in just in Jesus' physical body, which could only be in one place at one time, now because the Holy Spirit is in his corporate body that can be in all places at all times, John 14, 12 was fulfilled where greater things are done than Jesus did. Amen? That's what we should be doing, church. Now moving on. This might not be in my notes, but I'd said, and so Jesus said, come, and Peter walks out to him on the water, and he walks out to Jesus. When he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, You have little faith, why did you doubt? Now this is the second time we saw little faith. In the storm that Jesus rebuked, the disciples said that Jesus accused them of having little faith for, for panicking and coming to Jesus. In this storm here, he rebukes Peter, says, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And I always thought, it's, I don't know about you, but you read scriptures sometimes. It seems like in some places little faith is good. In other places, a little bit of faith is bad. Then I studied closer, and I found out that there's little faith and mustard seed faith, and they're two entirely different things. It's mustard seed faith that's the good faith. And mustard seed faith is a very tiny portion, but it's placed in the right solution. It's placed in God and in his word. And in Matthew 21, 21, if we have faith as a mustard seed, it says, you can say to this mountain, as a song said, by the song said that God removed mountains. Let's not put on God what he gave us the authority to do. We remove the mountains in Jesus' name. He says, you speak to this mountain. If you have faith as a mustard seed, and it'll be uprooted and cast into the sea for you. And a mountain is a large external obstacle that's preventing you from accomplishing what God has for you. But then in Luke 17, 6, he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed... You can speak to this mulberry tree, and it will be uprooted for you. What's a mulberry tree? It was a unique tree because for every foot it grew up, it grew roots a foot down. It was a deep-rooted tree. So a mulberry tree represents things that are deeply rooted, internal issues, habits, strongholds, addictions, temptations, and that by faith, I can take authority over these things and they can be uprooted for us and we can be set free. So mustard seed faith is good. Little faith is dead, not because it's a little amount of faith, but it's called little faith because it's faith in the inferior. Think about it. Peter is standing on the water facing Jesus, but he sees the waves. It says fear rises up in his heart and he sinks because he succumbs to his problem. Why? Because he had faith for the inferior. He had faith for his storm, but he did not have faith for Jesus' word. And that's why it's little faith, because it's faith for the inferior. I can believe my physical, my tangible problem, but I don't have the faith for God's eternal, maybe invisible solution. And that's why it's little. Now, how do I know what kind of faith that I have? Do I have mustard seed faith or do I have little faith? Little faith has a sidekick. Batman has Robin. The Long Ranger has Tono, I have Kim. Little faith has fear. Everywhere you read about little faith in the Gospels, you will find that fear is present. Fear is a manifestation of little faith. And so I'm facing a storm. How do I know if I'll prevail against this storm? 
Do you have fear or do you have faith? Is your trust in the storm, and if it is, it'll manifest as fear, or is your trust in God's word? So let's move on. And see where we are now. We're at verse 32. Now we get into the boat. The wind ceased. And those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. What a difference. When the storm was rebuked, they said, What manner of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. But with Jesus' assistance, Peter overcame the contrary storm, rose above it, walked above it. When we overcome life's storms, we become worshipers of him. And we declare him to be the Son of God. That's what happens when we overcome storms. When we overcome adversity and trials. We, he makes us into holy, devoted, passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Now I want to give you one more storm, and it's found in Daniel chapter 3. Most of us know this account. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. In this account, Daniel isn't mentioned, but he must have been off on some ambassadorial assignment or something because he wasn't there. But his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are. And King Nebuchadnezzar decides, based on a dream that he had from the Lord, by the way, and Daniel interpreted, that I'm going to make an idol of solid gold. 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide. That means 9 feet high, approximately 9 feet wide. It's going to be entirely of gold. I want everybody in the kingdom to worship this image of me. And so what happens is we're going to play the instruments. In other words, we're going to get the worship team going. And once they get going, we want everybody to bow down and worship this image. And by the way, if you don't worship this image that I've made of myself, you're going to get thrown into the fiery furnace. Now what happened was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, of course, were the Jewish uh, group that was in captivity. Friends of Daniel, they said, we're not doing this. We're staying wholly devoted to our God. And someone tattled to King Nebuchadnezzar about this. He became furious, but he liked these three guys. So he called them in and gave them a second chance. He said, I'll, I'll give you one more chance. We'll start up the, the, the worship band again. We'll play the music. And when you hear it, bow down and worship my idol so I don't have to throw you into the fiery furnace. Well, how did they respond? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O king, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you that we will not serve your gods which we worship, excuse me, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. And verse 19 is where we pick it up, and it says this is how Nebuchadnezzar responded. He was full of fury. And the expression on his face changed towards the three, and he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more hot than it's usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to go bind Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound, their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and they were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was so urgent and the furnace so exceedingly hot that the flames of fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. So what we conclude right here is there was a storm that was coming after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it wasn't rebuked. This is a storm that we have to go through. There is no way of avoiding it. They have to go through this storm. How does that play out? Let's pick it up in verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? 
And they answered and said to the king, True, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went to the mouth of the furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. And the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, administrators, governors, the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. Their hair, their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. So there was no option here. This was a fire that they had to go through, a storm that they couldn't escape. They came through the fire. What was the outcome? One outcome was they came through totally unscathed. It said the fire had no effect on them, that their clothes, and I like this one, the hair of their head wasn't even scorched. Now just last week what happened is I'm burning compost in a burning bin. I just lit it on fire. I wasn't sure if it was burning very well, so I said, let me check. And I lift up the lid, and guess what? There go my eyebrows. And this is a fire that was heated seven times hotter. But when you go through the storm, what's going to happen is you're faithful to God, you're going to come out the other end unscathed. The other thing that happened was is that they went in bound, but they came out loosed. And I have stories how God put me into difficult situations. Didn't know why I had to be in that situation. When I came out the other side of the situation, I came out changed. I had this particular habit when I win. When I came out, that habit was behind me. I went in bound, but I came out loosed. And you'll notice that the same storm, what did it do to the three soldiers that were thrown, that threw them into the fire? They were consumed. Our God is a consuming fire, but the same fire of God that will consume the unbeliever will only set free his children. The other thing, the assurance that we have, the hope that we have, that if we have to go into a storm, is that Jesus will be there with us. One that looks like a son of God was there with them. And Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. And he will never allow us to go into a battle that we can't win. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, then delivered his servants who trusted in him. They frustrated the king's word and have yielded their bodies, that they should not serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. So what was the conclusion of the matter? They come out of this situation unscathed because the Lord is with them as they go through the storm. One is they came out with a testimony. They had a public testimony how when they were faithful to God, God was faithful to them and brought them through that storm unscathed. They came away with a testimony. But you know what a testimony is? Every testimony starts as a test. Well, I wish I had a, pastor, a testimony like Pastor Tim or Pastor Ron or Kim. No, you don't, because it started as a test. But if we have faith in God, if we go through it, it becomes a testimony. The other thing that happened was is that the king and his courts worshipped the God of Israel. When God brings us through a storm, we are faithful to him, and he in turn is faithful to his. They worship God. The people who are watching and listening become worshipers of God as they see his faithfulness to his, his own in the storm. And the third thing that happened happens in verse 30. It says, The king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. 
You want to receive promotion in the kingdom of God? God wants to demonstrate that you can be trusted with more. So he allows storms to come into our lives. And those who are faithful with him as we go through the storm are given promotion. That's how we get promotion in the kingdom of God. Uh, I'll close with this story, and that was uh, when I was back here. I was working in Roseville, as a matter of fact, working with a company called Agency Rent-A-Car. Anybody remember them? Well, what happens, they hire you, and you are a driver for the first three to six months. But during that time, what happens, not only are you delivering cars, but you're being trained to be manager of your own office. And about that time, I was struggling with seizure disorder. God has miraculously healed me to answer to a prayer in 2003. I stopped taking my medication in 2008. I am seizure-free. God is good. Our God heals. But at this particular time, I'm a man in my young 20s. And for some reason, I was going through a season where I didn't take my medication. I wasn't having a problem for close to two years. And so I got a job delivering cars. And what you do is that you drive a big car out to the customer and you tow a small car behind you drop off the big car to the customer, and you drive that little Dodge Colt that we had back to the office. Well, what happened was, as I went through a week, I called my Job week where I had bad news every day of the week, and progressively, I, I could hear, that was my premonition, the seizure coming. And at first I was in denial, but then it became obvious. Something's wrong. And one night I was sleeping, and I had a powerful dream. I totaled the car. Next thing I saw, I'm in the lobby at my church, and I'm sharing the accident, the story about the accident, with our young adults, pastors Chuck and Beth. And I was telling Chuck, I says, I've been in this horrible accident, and I'm afraid this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. And Chuck stops me. He says, wait, wait. He says, is worrying going to solve anything? I said, no. He said, leave it in the Lord's hands and pray. Wait a minute. Stop, Chuck. I don't think you understand the seriousness of the situation. Let me start all over again and again. I reiterate my concerns. And again, he stops me. He says, is worrying going to solve anything? I said, no. He said, leave it in the Lord's hands and pray. Well, the alarm went off. I jumped on the floor on my knees. And I says, Lord, I don't want this storm. I don't want this trial. I don't want to have a car accident. I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to die. And you know it's going to cost me hundreds of dollars to get this situation righted. I've got to see my general practitioner. I've got to see a specialist. I've got to get medication, which wasn't cheap. But I promise you, Watch over me, and I'll get this taken care of as soon as I can. Just don't let this thing happen to me. Well, guess what? I had to go through the storm. 10 o'clock this morning, I'm right over here on I-94, westbound, near 10 Mile. I hear it coming. I cry out to the Lord, and I try to get to the shoulder of the road, and next thing you know, my car is pressing up against the pillar of the 10-mile overpass. I've totaled my car and the car that I was pulling. Praise God, no one else got hit. And someone's knocking on the window of my car saying, get out of the car, you've been in a bad accident. And finally the cobwebs cleared and I said to myself, I just lost my job. I go back to my office and my boss is Tony, a guy I had been witnessing too. He liked me. I didn't put it on the application because I've been drug free and I thought maybe I grew out of it. He says, look, treat it like a first time thing. Call the corporate office and go to a doctor and get a whole new assessment. Treat it like a first time thing. I says, Tony, I can't do that. And he looked at me like I was a religious nut. But I called the corporate office and I told him the truth. So I haven't been on my medication. I thought I grew out of it. But I'll get right back on my medication right away. I'll stay in the office till it kicks in. And the guy at the other end of the phone, using stronger language than this, said, you're darn right you're going to stay in the office. And we'll call you back in 10 days and let you know what our decision is. In the meantime, it was amazing. I had a perfect piece about the situation. Everybody else in the office is convinced I'm a goner. 
And 10 days later, they did call back. And these were the district manager's words. He said, because you're such a threat to the company in your current position, we have no other alternative but to make you manage your own office as soon as possible. And I got promoted. And the other guys in the office are going, I'm going to go out and wreck a car today so I can get my promotion. And just one more thing to the story, I had one chance before that to get my promotion, but Tim and I were up at the same time, not your pastor Tim, but a guy I work with. I lost to a coin flip. Tim got the promotion. You know where they sent him? Duluth, Minnesota. So, okay, where am I going? I'm going to get my promotion, right? The office had opened up, Flint, Michigan. And in closing, I just want to say, God is not the author of our storms. We live in a broken world. God made it all good, but man broke it because of sin. And sometimes in a broken world, bad things happen to good people. We have an adversary of the devil who wants to rob, kill, and destroy. That's the other reason why we have storms. And the third one is, and I think the most common reason why sometimes we face storms, poor choices we make. And guess what? There's consequences to those choices. But my Bible says that Jesus is the Lord of the storms. And it doesn't reason, I don't care why I'm experiencing that storm right now. All I know is that if I gave it to Jesus, Romans 8.28 says all things work together for our good. And he can use all things for his glory. Amen? All things work together for our good. And he works all things together for his glory. Will you trust him with your storm? doesn't matter who's making it is. Right now I surrender it over to him. Jesus, it's now yours. You're Lord of the storm. Use this for my good and your glory. Amen?